Welcome back. Hopefully not welcome to you. We've only done one episode, so, um, and this one builds on top of the first one, so pauses right now. If you're hopping in on episode two, go back and watch, or listen to episode one. And this one is going to build on top of the level one concept of the article that we both wrote. So we talked about level one and how these people are, think of division three assistants, tier three head coaches, tier three assistant coaches, people that don't have a ton of perceived value in the coaching space. Um, And that's going to depend on your perceived values dependent on one, your competence, and we'll get into this, but two, the other person on the other side perceiving it. And there's this level 20 archetype that we talked about in the article, and then there's a level 50 archetype. So we'll kind of highlight those quickly, and then we'll jump into kind of the beat of this. So the level 20 archetype is a coach that, let's say they played in the AHL, they finished their playing career in the AHL, and their first job is at just a more relevant level of hockey. So call it, they started the USHL assistant. The level 20s are the people that are finite-minded, they're more transactional, and they kind of, the level 20s in our example, essentially stay level 20s. They get stuck, and they get stuck based on their inability to relate, their inability to connect with others and their refusal to kind of look for the best level ones and pull them up. Um, And then we have the level fifties and they're the infinite minded people. So the level fifties are, and I just posted an article today, I'll put it in the show notes and we are building on top of what me and Mikhail wrote about. And essentially it was an example of logic and hip hop artist, not the word. So logic um, signs this 14 year old kid after a concert, he pulled him up on stage and the level 50 in him was recognizing regardless of his age, um, what he was about, He was just a random kid in the crowd, but he saw and he felt potential and opportunity in this kid. And he saw what most people probably would just brush off. And it looks like a great story now on YouTube shorts, but he really felt something connected to this kid, saw himself in the person and then pulled that person up. And now he's a producer for logic works for his record label years old so um that's kind of the level 20 and the level 50 again you can pause this read that article for more context and then come back to us and what we're essentially trying to tee up is this idea that the level 50s know where they came from and had the experience of a level one um most of the level 50s that we've at least interacted with, and we'll speak to some of those guys, um, 
started as level one coaches. They started as D3 assistants, guys in tier three. Think of a guy like John Cooper. Um, everyone's kind of familiar with that story in hockey. So um, they don't lose perspective on where they came from, and they very much remember where they came from. And, Mikhail, you kind of have uh, a personal experience that you went to that kind of can um, speak to that. Yeah. Uh, so one one thing I want to say just on the level 20 that kind of – the way I think of it is, like, every, everyone knows and everyone talks about the hockey world is small or really any, like, the sports world is small. Um, the hockey world is small, and it's smaller for the level 20s because when you are looking at someone that you want to learn from, interact with, um, or even pull up, like like you've mentioned before, pull them up, like you're only you're only looking at – guys that have done the same thing you have that have played in the AHL or they you've got this prerequisite that in your mind in order to be worthy of your time or worthy of your um you know time or like ability to work alongside this guy he's got to have done what I've done and that now limits your pool to you know 25% of what it could be um and when you think about the level 50s like their the hockey world is small but for them their pool is massive they'll take anyone because they're not looking it's like the logic example he's not looking for this refined other 18 19 year old kid uh who's done a bunch of stuff and has a great resume he's just looking for talent he's looking for potential and he's swinging on that and not on experience or resume so that was just one thing that came to mind as you were talking but as far as the example goes, like totally outside the realm of hockey and sports. Um, I spent one summer, uh, almost 10 years ago now, working at Waffle House. And uh, it's an odd, it's an odd place to have worked during college. But um, what I found fascinating when I worked there was that anyone who's hired at Waffle House, whether you're hired to be a server, a line cook, the new CEO or an area manager who might be in charge of say hundred to 150 stores. Um, you have to go through the training that everyone else does. And so obviously if you're a line cook or a server, we can understand why you need to go through that training. But imagine you are, you know, you're the vice president president of let's say Shaw's the grocery store up in new England. And now you're like, I want to make a transition and you get to Waffle House and you get this new job as vice president or something of Waffle House. You don't get to just like go to the Cush office and do the stuff that you did at Shaw's. You now start and it might take you six months. You've got to go learn how to be a server, how to be a line cook. You've got to go through the, the safety training. You've got to go through the actual training. Uh, you've got to be there for the, they have like three different shifts. It's like a 5 a.m. shift a two to 10 shift and an overnight shift because Waffle House is 24 hours. You got to work all those shifts. Like you got to put in so much sweat equity before you can actually enjoy what is quote, like the job you were hired to do. And I look at that as like the reason a company, I love that. I think that's like, I mean, not that Waffle House is like America's greatest company or America's greatest corporation, <laughs> but for a place that, sells food really cheap and is open 24 hours. It's interesting how long they've been able to survive on that model. Um, and I look at that as like what they're doing internally is weeding out level twenties. 
if you just want the job because you want to be a CEO somewhere else than where you currently are, this job is not for you because you've got to now start at the very bottom and work your way up. And for some people, that's challenge accepted. They, what I learned is they tend to have a very high um, percentage of military background, upper level management that don't mind or have, are just used to that path. And they're like, yeah, that's good with me. But I think what they're doing, like I said, internally is they're weeding out people that may not be a good fit for them in the long run. Because if you aren't willing to put in that time and that, like I said, sweat equity, you're going to come out of there, whether it's six months in, two years in, and this just isn't going to be the place for you. And so now, instead of finding that out when there's a ton of time and money already invested in them, you're finding that out day one. So I think on one hand, it weeds out the level 20s. And on the other hand, it enables hopefully everyone to be a level 50 minded person because you've been, now you are the CEO or the area manager, whatever you are, and you're having a, you know, a problem or an issue at one of your stores between, let's say, literally like a server and one of the line cooks, you have been both of them. So you can understand where their complaints are coming from, where their frustrations are coming from. If they're in conflict with each other, you can probably relate to both of their positions. If they're in conflict against you know, the two of them against you or against their boss, you can also probably relate to that. So now it allows you to see the value in everyone because you have been them before. And I think that's something that certainly in sports and plenty of other industries, it's not always the case or it's not always possible. Eh, it's possible, but it just doesn't happen that way. So much to build off on top of there. The one jumping off piece that I have is going back to the logic article. It's you're not blind to the fact that there are more people with value out there than you think exist. If you're looking at resumes and you're talking to some of your buddies to find your next assistant coach, or if you're a GM or an AD to find your next head coach, um, where logic is unlimited, you are limited. And there are, I mean, numerous, numerous level one people. And we're going to try to eventually get some on that are currently at level 50. Um, that to the great majority of level 20s, had no value and they wouldn't give them the time of day based on their resume or who they previously worked for or where they previously worked. And the people that are, we talk about how we think as writers and putting stuff out there. And we've started to see some people come into our orbit that are just kind of on the periphery um, at pretty high levels of hockey that maybe aren't necessarily subscribed to our newsletters, but they've made their presence known, um, at least to me personally, that they've read some stuff and they're kind of in the weeds, basically, is what I call them. And not necessarily that they're waiting for me um, to kind of get another job in hockey where then it makes more sense for them to maybe hire me down the line. But whether it's me, Mikhail, some other person um, 
when you're putting your stuff out there and you're making yourself known like the kid at the logic concert just singing along um and it just being kind of an energetic connection um when there are people aware of you that have this level 50 mindset um you never know what that's kind of going to lead to uh, if that makes sense yeah for sure you you like when you're when you have that mindset or you have that ability to look at different different people and s- try to see or see the value in them your your pool or your your net is cast so wide that you don't have to you don't have to look down one path or you don't have to look down one i mean it's it's honestly no different than how you know not necessarily at the um, NHL level, although it's probably true there, but like at the college level, how you recruit, I mean, you can go down, if you are coaching in the, at the division one level, you can go down the USHL or the BCHL or the North American league and primarily or solely recruit out of those leagues. And it's not to say that that doesn't work. It does, but you are also recruiting against everyone else in division one who wants kids from those leagues. Um, some teams will go outside the box. They may look at leagues that traditionally don't send as many kids to division one, or they'll look overseas or they'll take guys younger um, than other schools do, or they'll do the opposite. They'll take guys older. So I think there's like, when you have an open mind to like, what could work here, what could work for me and not just what have I done in the past? Not just like, what was the way that was told to me? If you really, I mean, the, the example I think, that I, I'm, I'm thinking of is like John Cooper, like he coached at high school hockey and um, in Michigan. And then he works his way up like from junior hockey to the AHL, NHL. By the time he's coaching the lightning, like he has gone through so many experiences that his beliefs and principles are so well-founded that they're kind of, it doesn't necessarily matter what other guys in the NHL do or don't do. He's going to do what he believes in. And, I think there's a reason that guys like him and there's other examples of this, but I think there's a reason that guys like him have a lot of success when on paper, they probably shouldn't because he never played at the level. He didn't even play the collegiate level or major junior level. So it's like, how does that guy, how is he able to lead a team to a Stanley cup? Not once, but twice. Like I do think that him having worked at previous levels of hockey that were much, much different than the NHL, much different than even the USHL. I think those experiences allow you to see things from a different perspective that had John Cooper just jumped out of playing in the NHL and became the head coach of the Lightning, I don't think he would have been as successful as he's been so far. Yeah, the the thought that comes to my head is just the idea of there are different quote-unquote games to play, and whether it's infinite versus finite, or you're talking about the recruiting piece. Um, That's essentially what the level 50s are doing. They're playing a different game where the level 20s are looking for a great resume and they're looking for their buddies for recommendation. And the level 50s are like in the weeds on the internet looking for any semblance of competence and a way of thinking that's different and better that stands out to them that could give them an edge and there's no edge when 
you're fighting for the same players and recruiting. You don't create an edge. There's no edge created when you're hiring just the same legacy people over and over and over and over again. Um, and I think the level 50s understand that the edge exists in finding some 14-year-old in the crowd. And that that's the analogy from the logic thing. Um, that can truly help you and make a difference and see things differently from a different perspective. And that's what creates the edge, not going back to the same well on the same day over and over and over again. Thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I don't honestly don't really have many thoughts on that. Cause I, I just agree with it. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what allows you to, when you, when you're willing to kind of like find that, like what game are you playing and find the edge, whether it's within, your hiring process or your your player process like recruiting you're you're just opening up more routes to finding a good fit for you and that ultimately that's what you should be looking for i mean especially i think when you're talking about recruiting like you should be looking for guys that fit what you're trying to do not necessarily just the level um and even as a coach like you want someone that you feel like is going to bring value to you and your team in a different way than maybe you do um so I think that that like level 50 mindset allows you to really do that. And not that you can't do it as a level 20, but I think it is, I think it's more difficult because you're not even aware that's part of the game that you're in. Mm-hmm. And like building on top of that, just like a quick, quick story that'll kind of articulate the differences um, and teach some of the level one coaches listening, honestly. Um, Maybe you can learn from me what not to do, what to do. Um, I was, during my second year coaching the junior team, um, I was kind of that typical antsy young coach that wanted to move up, move on, push their way to the next level. So I just started reaching out to anyone and everyone that I could get an email contact for. I think I reached out to every single Division One coach that year. Uh, so there's probably like 60 teams at that point. Um, and I got responses from four of them. And I reached out to every USHL coach that I could and only heard back from one. And the one USHL coach that I got, I asked just to come be a fly on the wall for a couple days. So I went down there. And we started talking, I started asking questions and it kind of came up that I was wondering like, why did I get a yes? Cause I've heard no from 80 people at this point. Like, why did I get invited down here? And he was like, Drew, I'm gonna be honest. Like I get emails every day from, I can show you my inbox from D3 assistants that are looking for a job from D3 assistants that just wanna come do what you're doing and observe and take notes. Um, I get emails hundreds per week about the same thing. And he's like, Drew, I'm going to be honest with you. You said you were from Michigan in your email. I'm a Michigan guy. That's why you're here. And it kind of leads into the teaching that we want to do behind this, which is kind of refine your approach as a young coach if you're if you're wanting to get you know make connections and go observe a team or even if you're looking to see if they have openings um 
I think the perspective trick is to, instead of shotgunning emails to everyone, it's doing some research on the front end of who are the level 20 coaches in this league that I want to be in. And let me try them first. And let me try a more personalized email to them first. And let me do it in a way that I can try and, again, maybe do even some some more advanced research. Where are they from? Am I from there? Finding one thing that you have in common, however small it might be, to, we talked about on the first episode, like stack the deck in your favor, increase the odds of you having success and just being able to connect with some of these guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, it's really tempting because you think, you think quantity and it's really tempting to just, all right, if I need, I mean, and it is true. Like if I need, if I want two responses, I can't send two emails. I've got to send 20. Um, so it's very tempting as you're talking about to just gather every email you can find and fire them all off. And I think the, the hard part of that is that like, like this guy is, is telling you in the USHL, like I have hundreds of those. So it's not even like he's not a good guy or not a, not a nice dude. Like he can't possibly say yes to every kid or every coach because he would never coach the actual team. He'd just be having people like a carousel in every day. Yeah. So um, when you're trying to find, when you're trying to find guys that, that you could connect with and learn from, like for sure, find a, find something about them that either you can relate to that you think they could relate to with you that you guys have in common. Um, it, it's not always easy because again, some of these things you find out, you have to talk to the person to find that out. You can't just like look them up and know that. Um, so I think like it, it can be difficult, but there are, you know, one, one thing, and this is a little different, but one thing that I did a lot of, and it's, it's getting harder to do because I'm getting older now, but when I first started in college, I would, if we, when we were recruiting a player, obviously you look at his elite prospects and I'd go back to his like prep school, U18, U16. And for a, a lot of these kids, they were like four or five years younger than me. So a good amount of them would have played with some of the guys I played with in college or juniors that were younger than me. So I was usually able to track down their numbers or at least like get some info on them from guys that I knew from playing. Now that's getting more difficult because these guys coming out of juniors are O2s and O3s and I'm a 94. So that age gap has really grown. But in the beginning, it was very helpful, one, for ease of finding players' contact info, but also for like, you know, you call a coach, most coaches are going to tell you the kids on their team are good people. And that's not always true. So you can vet these, you know, statements with, with people that I already knew and, and trusted or didn't trust. Um, and I kind of, I kind of think in a, in the same regard, you can do some of that with coaches you're trying to connect to. So you look up X coach, you see he's at whatever place now, look at where he's been. And then as a coach and a player, and maybe look at some of the teams he's coached. Do you know anyone that played on any of those teams? No. Okay. What about some of the teams he played on? Do you know anyone that he played with? I mean, there's a, there's a good amount of people in the hockey world that played with some guy in college and now he does skills out somewhere. And, um, you just like, 
a lot of people tend to know each other and I would be within hockey, like we're saying. And, and I would be surprised if you're a coach just starting out now, if you couldn't look at multiple coaches, elite prospects and click on where they coached or where they played and find at least one, one connection. So now when you're writing the email to him, you're like, Hey, I actually know John Smith who you played with or who you coached at this place. And like, that doesn't mean he's going to respond, but he knows that you took some time and he didn't just like, you didn't just fire off an email saying like, Hey coach, would love to see your team. You know, it's another thing. Like you can tell a copy and pasted email when there's no personalized approach. Um, so that kind of stuff, like it can help, it can help because it's going to catch that coach's eye and he's going to at least think about, all right, maybe, maybe I should respond to this person. Maybe I should give this person some, some time of day because they, they put some effort into this and they happen to know someone that I know and I care about what my reputation is with that guy. So I'm going to try to do this kid well, um, versus just the cold email that they're like, I don't feel any obligation to respond to this. Yeah. Just to recap that, because I think it's important. Like if, if you're taking notes on this, if you're a younger coach, I think, the part to write down is just to increase your odds, to stack the deck in your favor, to start making some of these connections. It's one ID who the former level ones are um, because they're going to have that Waffle House perspective of being the coach that 10 years ago, they were in your shoes, writing cold emails, reaching out to anyone um, for some help. So the level ones are going to have that perspective and that understanding which is going to increase your odds. And then you can stack that with finding a way in your email to relate to them. So identify who they are and then find some connection, whether it's former player, former coach, where they lived. I mean, that's, that's what worked for me, just two Michigan guys. Um, and that's the connection that it took to get a response instead of get ignored like the hundreds of guys that he was not necessarily ignoring, but like Mikhail was saying, like he wouldn't be able to coach the team if he he would need a personal assistant to respond to all those emails. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the takeaway there. And then that kind of leads into Mikhail's getting into some second level, second order thinking. And I think you have kind of a story with the two guys that you've previously worked for and kind of the second order effects that we were talking about off air. Yeah. Yeah. So like for me, um, the school I was previously coaching at, like, um, they were, those two coaches I worked with were very instrumental in helping me get to where I am today, as far as just obviously like day-to-day -day advice, but also though they're guys that, that have that level 50 mindset. They started out as division three assistants. They're both division three players. Um, both have worked in division one and they kind of see that, that level 50 perspective that in order to move on and advance. And like you were saying, move up and move out. Like you've got to help those that are, you got to pull other people up. And so there's the benefit of working with, with them. And just because, just because of the fact that they have a, a great perspective and, and they're able to provide things from, that level 50 mindset, but then there's the second order of like, they also understand, all right, 
in order for, you know, like the first guy that I worked with, he really prided himself on the fact that he had had four assistants prior to me. One had left to be a division one assistant. One had left to be a USHL assistant. One had left to be a, I'm sorry, the USHL assistant left first to be a video coach in division one and then is now a USHL assistant. Um, one had left to be a division three head coach and one had left to be an ECHL assistant coach. And at the time of like when I was there, one was an AHL, the guy that left the ECHL, he was in the AHL as head coach. Now he's an NHL assistant coach, um, division three head coach, division one hockey East assistant and USHL assistant for the last four or five years. So these are four guys that like, if you looked at them seven to 10 years ago when they were coaching with doing the same thing I was doing, like you'd think like, no way that guy's going to be on the bench for the Sharks, but he is. And that, not that that is solely because he worked with a level 50 guy when he was young, but it certainly helps. And it didn't impede his progress whatsoever. Um, it's that ability to, to realize that even though I'm moving this guy on after a year or two, and now I'm going to have to find a new assistant, and that can be annoying to do, especially at um, the Division three level, like where I, where I was, just because like, it's hard to find people that are able to do that job time-wise and financially you lean into it because you're like, I'm moving, I'm moving guys on to a, a better level than where we're at or a better position within the same level. And so they're not afraid to do that. They're not, they're not trying to hide or retain their talent um, to make sure that their job stays easy. And honestly, in my experience across division three, I, I think that's very common from almost all head coaches to have that mindset that like, you know, this is a stepping stone and we're trying to help you move on and we're trying to help you advance. It's more so that the benefit of working with a guy like that, who's that level 50 mindset is proactively trying to make sure that it happens for you. And it's not just going to happen to you. It's going to happen for you. And they're, they're reaching out on your behalf and, and they're keeping an ear to the ground so that, if an opportunity comes becomes open, they can send it your way. And that's like, I think of that as, as a coach, like one of the ultimate selfless moves because you know it's going to impact at least you negatively where you're going to have to go through the hiring process and you're going to have to teach someone new and transition and it can be a pain. But you know that it's what's best for not just the other person, but even ultimately for your program's legacy to move to move guys on and, and help them yeah and it makes me think it's almost like and it's not almost like if you read the articles and now that i'm thinking about it it is like the level 20s and the level 50s are operating in two separate worlds essentially and what i mean by that is the level 20s are I mean, we just, we both were listening to that Rand Pecknold episode, Chicklets, and I think the common thing is, he, he made the comment that, you know, we won now, now I'm going to lose my staff. Like, guys are going to go be Division One head coaches, um, guys are going to get different opportunities because we had success. And the level 20 coaches 
at higher levels than Division One are, and those guys could be great guys too. Don't get me wrong, but the the status quo has always been to just pluck winners from winning staffs, and I think where the level fifties are to kind of take a page out of Cody Royal's book, they're willing to go where others won't and look for that edge somewhere else. Um, and it could be from a winning staff like Quinnipiac if they're truly a great person and a great fit, but it doesn't, that's not maybe the first place that they're looking like everyone else is when we talked about the recruiting piece. Um, that just kind of came to mind for me. I'll volley that to you if you've got anything on that. Yeah. Yeah. No, being willing to like kind of look, well, first of all, for like a guy like Ram Pecknold, like understanding that that's just how it goes now. You may lose part of your staff and, and he's even, he said it about his players too. He's like, now we may lose guys to the NHL. Um, and understanding that like ultimately that's good for Quinnipiac hockey because next year or whatever in two months, if he's looking to hire a new assistant, he's going to, not that he needs to sell Quinnipiac, but he may, he may need to, he may need to pry the guy that he really wants away from a really good job that maybe the guy is not, um, you know, maybe he's not inclined to leave because financially he's fine or he really likes where he's at. So you do need that legacy of like, okay, but my two previous assistant assistants left for X, Y job. Um, and for players, like at the end of the day, like he talks about Quinnipiac is still not, not the big 10. Like there are still aspects of the school or whatever that maybe guys look at and are like, I'd rather go to Ohio state or I'd rather go to Michigan. And so for him to, for him to be able to, Honestly, I don't know if he even wants to win those recruiting battles because it sounds like they do things a lot differently. But if he did want a kid that maybe other schools like that were on, he's got to be able to sell the fact that, um, you know, he's got guys coming in that are undrafted and do two, two and a half, three years and they're on to the NHL or signing NHL deals. So there's that, like, there's that willingness and understanding, like, this is going to happen if we have success. And then as far as where, where he looks now like does he now like you like you said does he now pluck a winner from somewhere else or i mean he pretty much outlined that they only profile and not only but they primarily profile for two traits in players when they're recruiting so i'm gonna guess that he probably has a relatively similar mindset when it comes to profiling who his assistant coaches might be and now he's got to find like say he's faced with that choice of like, do I take the guy who's won at the USHL level or who's won at the division three level or won at the division one level in a different conference that kind of everyone's hot on and talking about, or do I take a guy that I just believe will do a good job and I don't really care where he's come from because I see the potential in him. And I think that is when we talk about guys are playing different games that's a different game you're playing some guys are playing the take the winner because he did it there and now come do it here and some guys are playing the like i'm just looking for potential and if i see it in this guy i want him no matter what he's done in the past yeah and i think that's what the industry's fighting a bit and going back to the logic piece this will kind of segue into what i'm talking about or articulate what i'm talking about um like, Logic hires a 14-year-old kid 
Um, so that's not this like natural progression, him going up and then eventually being a producer. Like he, I talk about how I think in the future with this, these level 50 mindset coaches that coaches are going to start skipping levels. It's not going to be D3 assistant to the next logical progression to division one assistant to division one head coach to the AHL to the NHL. Like I think guys, um, that are in this new wave mindset of this level 50 mindset, they're going to start taking guys from levels that don't necessarily make sense. But right now what you're fighting is, I mean, coaches have even said this to me or um, in passing, but they have to like justify it in a press release. Right. So a division one coach, regardless of how competent I may seem right now, um, just using me as an example, but I'm not going to go be a division one assistant coach in three months. And that's like an extreme example, but I think a lot of places are fighting the status quo and fighting upper management on, I see this 14 year old kid. He's a fucking slam dunk. We need him. Um, and that's what logic would be saying, but he doesn't have to justify that to anyone because he owns he is the GM, the owner, the AD. Um, so he doesn't have to justify that to anyone. But there are probably head coaches out there that have a guy that they're like, I need this guy yesterday. But they're fighting battles because they're upper management. It's like, we can't justify this in a press release. Like, he's, he's a tier three coach. Like, he's not coming all the way up here. Yeah, the 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 press release thing i think is is real um it's one of the coaches i worked for in the past would always say like it's all hiring is all about a sexy press release because and i think you talk about ways that social media impacts things or we talk about that just as as a society a lot that is an area where social media can either help you or harm you and if you put out a sexy press release it's going to help you because people are going to respond to it. They're going to interact with it. And they're going to be like, X school, whatever it is, they just got like a great coach. And by great coach, it's like someone that we all know and we think is really good and looks good for that that program. Um, where social media is hurting you is that that guy may not be the best fit. And it is no different than, I, I keep going back to this just because it's so like fresh in my mind, but like, recruiting like what every team does at the division three level or division one level just take the division three level every team is trying to do something different you're obviously trying to win but how you go about winning your process is way different so what what you may see in one player another school may not see in him and what another school sees in a kid you may not see in him and i think that's totally okay it makes sense why certain kids are recruited hard to go to one school and not at all to another because it's not because they stink unequivocally or they're great unequivocally. It's because one school thinks that guy's going to help us and he's going to provide something that we don't have. And another school thinks we have too much of that, or we don't want that. And that is fit. That is what every coach realistically is doing when they're recruiting, um, or at least should be if they're not. And when you're hiring, it should be, it should be similar. I mean, 
if I know my own strengths and weaknesses, like I have weaknesses. I know, I know I do. I know what they are. If I were being hired to work for a head coach who operated exactly like me, that probably wouldn't be a good fit for our team in general. Or if I'm a head coach one day and I go out and I hire just a mini version of myself, we're going to both have the same holes and we're going to be overcompensating on the strengths. And so the problem with the press release, getting back to that is like, that doesn't show on a press release. You know, you, you take anyone who just gets hired as a new head coach at a school or, or an assistant coach at a school, like what they don't, and I'm not even saying they should because it wouldn't make sense, but you don't put in the, in the press release, like so-and-so hired to be the new head coach of X school and athletic director's strengths are this and his weaknesses are here and head coach's strengths are this. And that's why we think he's going to be a good fit. And the previous guy who we just fired or who moved on to another job, whatever it was, he had this big shortfall and this guy's biggest strength is that. So he's going to do a great job. Like you can't do that. It wouldn't even be smart to people wouldn't want to read that. It's not interesting. It's not clickbaity enough. So instead it's like, well, this guy coached at a really good school and we want to we want to be known to attract really good applicants and that's who we're going to take and what's sometimes that works i would say not that it can't work but sometimes you find yourself two maybe less three years later and you're like that guy wasn't a good fit and this isn't working and our team is struggling and we don't think this is a long-term match and that's when you have to ask yourself, like, well, did you, did you hire because he was the best fit or did you hire because it was going to be a sexy press release and that it was, but it didn't last. Yep. It's the whole, it reminds me of, and for, for the listeners that are on my stuff, they're going to be like, Drew, shut, shut up. Um, but it's the alchemy thing and it's the willingness to be the level 50 coaches when they see it, they know it, and it's a feeling, and it's irrational. But there, there is things to go on. Like I talk about in the article, like Chris Webby doesn't pull Echo up just because there's an energy kind of connection. Like Echo is a talented artist, um, I guess subjectively in my opinion, but people are starting to see it, so it's becoming kind of objective. But like Chris isn't going to go to bat for an up-and-coming artist that stinks um so there has to be a competence piece that's shown but the irrational part is like this dude is competent but he's coaching division three as an assistant and i need to pull him all the way up and people are going to expect him to go level to level so this is going to be hard for me to justify but those level 50s it's not it's not hard-headed isn't the right word but it's conviction that this is my guy and like you said if they were able to articulate it in a press release and be like these are the levels of my thinking Mikhail has this 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 and this and the guy that didn't work out those were again all in the opposite direction those are all his weaknesses and now we've completely closed the gaps that we've had based on this human being that we've hired and this person um that's that's the difference between 50 and 20 20 is logical and 50 is 
willing to be completely irrational and know in their heart that like this is my person these are my people and i need to surround myself with them regardless of what level they're at right now like they're fit and the whole recruiting thing that you brought up with players like we're we're so keenly aware that even though this person is one on everyone's draft board like i want number four when i have the first pick because he's a better fit play-wise culturally person whatever and we're willing to kind of shock people in that direction on like draft day with players but we're not willing to shock people in hiring which if we can close that gap i think you start getting some some better people that can really help in the game faster and fold up quicker um which i think is good for the game ultimately yeah i I think that i think when you're when you're willing to look at like your draft example you're willing to look at a guy that maybe is column fourth on most draft boards and be like but that's what we need and you take him anyways or uh, the opposite a guy is first overall on everyone's board you have the first overall pick and you're like he's just not what we need um that takes it takes a lot of conviction you are you are also opening yourself up to a ton of criticism and that's it gets back to something that we talked about in the last episode like you really got to have almost written down beliefs to have the necessary conviction to make a move like that and it's the same thing not not to the same degree but it is similar in recruiting, whether it's division, it's probably more common at the division one level where everyone really wants this one player and he's like the hot, hot commodity that's still out there. And some places, you know, you may not be able to get in on him because of the status of your program or, or he's not interested in whatever the location, like there's certain things like that, but to willingly pull out of that race, like you've got to be pretty steadfast in your beliefs that you're going to be okay without him and he's not a fit for what you want to do. That's pretty hard. That's pretty hard to accomplish because you really, like I said, you really have to be 100% confident and have the necessary clarity to be like, we're going to pass on this guy. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to wrap up for right now because we've given you uh we started kind of wide and we got narrower as we went along but there are probably four or five things to really uh sink your teeth into and think about there so um we'll wrap there not to overwhelm and i mean honestly the way that we're going like these can these are seemingly just building off each other and I think we both kind of wrote down some more thoughts that we'll talk about off the air and that'll be what episode three is about. So stay tuned and we will see you on the next.